you cannot be in an organization like this and want steady Eddie. I'm not going to be able to do that for anybody. But if you want to see your thumbprint on things, if you want to be able to look around and be like, this didn't exist before and I built it, I think there's nothing more gratifying than that. Call them change makers. Call them rule breakers. We call them redefiners. Join us in conversation with daring leaders who are creating extraordinary impact and driving change from around the globe. Each episode gives you a fresh perspective on your leadership and career journey. I'm Hoda Tahoon, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds. I'm Clark Murphy, the former chief executive officer and a leadership advisor. And this is Redefiners. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Redefiners. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation. Our guest is a protector of sorts with a track record of exceptional growth for the company she leads. Her category is skincare, but her products are about more than just aesthetics. They are central to healthy outdoor living, and they serve an especially potent market segment. Everyone, our guest products keep people safer at the beach, in the garden, on their morning walks, or anywhere really outdoors. I'm talking about sunscreen. Well, tell you, when you talk about sunscreen, you've got an Irishman here. (laughs) I have to tell you, I was a competitive swimmer and competitive sailor till I was um, 16 or 17 years old. So the damage done is almost uncountable. I've already had melanoma. Oh, wow. I've had probably 40 or 50 things cut off me over time, and I go four times a year. So this is near and dear to my heart. So, you know, I'm very, very curious to have this conversation. I'm really excited about the conversation too, Clark, and this is a topic that's been especially important in my family as well, as uh, some of the listeners may not know about me, but I'm actually Middle Eastern by heritage, and so I have brown skin. And so uh, this topic is a really interesting one because there's been a lot of education for me and for my family over the last number of years about skincare. Well, our guest today is Amanda Baldwin. She's the CEO of the exceedingly popular SPF skincare brand, Supergoop. Her career started in Wall Street before she pivoted into the beauty industry, working for brands like Dior Beauty and Clinique. Supergoop has grown over 20 times its size under Amanda's leadership. She's highly sought after from publications and podcasts like ours, so we're quite lucky to have her with us. I cannot wait to bask in her presence today. Amanda, welcome to Redefiners. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I have one story. When I was 25 years old and went to the dermatologist for the first real official appointment, not realizing how much damage I had. And the dermatologist says to me, oh my gosh, Clark, you're what we call stir fry. (laughs) And um, I don't really appreciate dermatological humor, much less on my own skin. But Amanda, if you look at what's going on in our weather and our patterns and sunscreen and skin damage, you're in the real middle of what's going on. I'm fascinated to have this conversation. Yeah. I mean, look, this brand is based on a mission and on scientific fact. And, you know, we love the sun. Um, It's a beautiful day here in New York and we want to be outside enjoying it. But it is also really important to be protected. So, again, as a major user, we have four children, all of whom inherited my white Irish skin. I've probably tried every single brand there is and and various grades of it. Supergoop has taken off. Why do you think it has taken off and why is it so successful? I think there's many things. I think that the beginning and the origin story of the brand, I think the birth of the brand set it up for success. So we have an incredible founder. Her name is Holly Thagard. She had a friend who was diagnosed with skin cancer at age 29. 
and looked at the world around her and said, well, why did that happen? There's really no good reason. Skin cancer is 16 times more common than breast cancer. One in five of us will be diagnosed with it in our lifetimes. And yet it is still highly preventable through a magical lotion. And Holly's early insight that still drives us is, okay, well, how do I change behavior so that everyone is wearing sunscreen every single day? And emphasis on everyone. Um, Certainly Irish skin um, is more susceptible, but every skin tone is susceptible. And I think that's a really important aspect of how we're thinking as a brand. And really from that early insight was born a brand that is about changing perceptions of sunscreen, of creating products that you actually want to wear. So it was never that there was no sunscreen to buy. It just was icky, sticky, tacky messes that nobody actually wanted to use. So if you want to change behavior, you first have to create a product that people love. And the second thing is equally important because I think product and brand go hand in hand is a brand that people love. And Supergroup, from its very beginning, the day that it was born, the day that it had its logo, the day that it had its name, its exclamation point, its color yellow, we've been spreading the sunshine. And I think that that also has a huge impact on people is to sort of connect the dots between the product that is protecting you and the joy that it enables. And I think it's when those two things come together that we really can can change a category and to create a category. And that's really what we've done. Now we're doing it on a global basis. That also takes a lot of incredible operational oomph. And I often talk about that what the consumer sees is obviously super important, but what they don't see is equally important to our success. And that's all about people. So you have to have all those things happening at once. You can't have any single one of them. And I think that it's really when you have the product, the brand, the infrastructure, and the talent that drives all of that, that you can be on the amazing ride that we're on. So forgive me for asking an incredibly basic question, but it is fundamental in our house. Some people say you've got to wear 50 or more. Others sell a product that say SPF 100 and say that's just marketing. There's nothing more that helps. What should the average person buy who is in the sun more than just walking from the house to the car? So our point of view is always somewhere between SPF 30 and 50. And the American Academy of Dermatology recommends SPF 30 for a minimum amount for daily use. And we actually are very big believers in every single day. That is our tagline. So we actually think that it is the incidental exposure. This was, again, early insight in this brand. It is walking to and from the car, actually, that is the source of a lot of skin cancer. So don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate the UVA rays that are coming literally through your window. If you are outside and doing an active sport, our play line, uh, as we call it, is SPF 50 and with an 80-minute water resistance because that's really the best thing for that kind of occasion. We make over 40 formulas because we don't think it's one size fits all. It's not one size. Skin type, skin tone, daily habits, what you're doing, you need different things, right? I don't wear the same pair of shoes uh, when I'm on a tennis court as I do sitting in the office. It's, It's very similar with your sunscreen. In terms of the actual bigger numbers, the way to think about a sunscreen above a 50 is, is basically an asymptotic line <laughs> to get all geometry on you. So there's a many more ingredients required to get the delta between a, a 50 and a 60 and a 100, but you're getting very minuscule differential impact. So huh. with all due respect, it is marketing. There you go. <laughs> yes, there is more protection, but it's just not enough to make a difference. And we actually think that it can give you a false sense of security. And the number one thing, and probably if, if you're a sailor or a swimmer, you understand this, is people don't reapply, right? So 
any sunscreen, ours and anyone else's, is regulated by the government. It needs to be reapplied every two hours if you're in direct sunlight. So if you're out sailing for the day, oftentimes it's like, what, I put on sunscreen, but did you reapply it? And that's where a lot of damage comes in as well. So we think if you put on 100, you might think you have that much more protection. You actually don't. So we cap at 50. Mm. Well, you'll chuckle because I still spend any free time I have racing sailboats, transatlantics, fast nets, Newport Bermuda, and people I sail with who are on boats all the time, some of them professionally, everyone says, how can you do that? You don't have sunburns and sun damage. Well, they all say the same thing, is prevention is the best thing. You super goopy, you won't have a, you won't have a face that's all chalky. And uh, nice. you know, that's, yeah. that's nice. a big part of our, our, you know, of how we think about product is there should not be compromises, right? I should be able to get that protection, but I shouldn't have to look like a ghost. I think I've got a sponsorship opportunity for you. If you right. Well, um, our Series B <laughs> investors are both sailors. Um, and so my son's learning to sail. So we're, we're big fans of, of that. But, um, you know, look, and, and I would also tell someone to wear a rash guard and hat, um, you know, when you're, when you're in that kind of sunlight. Amanda, I know Supergoop got its start on the school playground. Can you tell us a little bit more about that story? The original version of Supergoop, Holly was a teacher and a harpist before um, this idea came to her. And so her original idea was to take sunscreen into schools and to educate young children about the importance of wearing sunscreen, right? We teach you to brush your teeth. We should be teaching you the daily habit of SPF application. Right. Turns out that's a fantastic way to start a brand, but sunscreen is actually not allowed in schools without a permission slip because it is an OTC drug. And we've spent the last 17 years changing laws um, in, in various different states to modify that. And, and there has certainly been progress by half of states now. You don't need a permission slip, but there's a lot of interesting nuances that come with that history um, that we still talk about. We now actually have a, a program called Ounce by Ounce where we give away sunscreen for free in schools. And it's, it's mm. part of um, the White House Cancer Moonshot Program. So it's, it's very much in our, in our DNA and in our purpose to think about how to educate, but it does come with its own set of nuances because of the fact that it is a regulated part of the skincare industry. Got it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that pivot from Supergoop in the playground and with that audience that's very young and sort of shifting based on what you just described and how you were thinking about the product and marketing the product? Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I think, look, this brand from the very beginning was designed to be for everyone. I mean, I think it's the thing that when I met Holly was one of the many things that I fell in love with was I just don't think there's a lot of brands that truly have the right to serve everyone. Mm. Ages, different genders, different lifestyles, different geographies. There's just not that many like truly brands that have that level of, I think, potential and scale and and really being an icon in their industry. That was in the origin story of the brand. So again, it kind of started with children. The spirit of the brand is, is very playful um, and, that's, and that's part of who we are. Uh, but over time, we've really been able to evolve and focus on what are the consumers that are sort of the next best group for us to be able to educate. And so when I started, we had one shelf and 100 Sephora's. And so we really mm-hmm. tripled down on that relationship. It's still an incredibly um, important relationship to us to really understand that consumer, what I called at that point, the makeup loving millennial, mm-hmm. um, if she could fall in love and understand the importance of, of sunscreen, we could really start to change the conversation because Sephora and this consumer 
they know how to help us create movements. And so that was really where we started when I began was really focusing on that specific consumer because of our distribution, but also because of the power that she had to get a conversation going. You talked a little bit about that relationship and the time that you spent with Holly and you joined the company, I think, 2016. What was her pitch to you when she recruited you? And what's it been like to work for a founder? It's been super organic from the beginning. I didn't feel that she was ever pitching me. I mean, look, Mm. Holly is one of the most infectious, passionate people. She's the only person I think who exists on the planet who's truly dedicated her life to this. Mm -hmm. And so she told me her story and what her vision was. And I think for me, my background, as you mentioned, was in Wall Street. I was an investor Mm -hmm. and I had been around these big, beautiful global brands. And the light bulb went off for me of what was the depth of the brand, the magic of the brand with the potential of the scale. And that combination I thought was just really unique. And I think that Holly really understood that she was ready for uh, somebody to truly make that real. And that's really been my role in all this is to take that big idea and break it down into little baby movements. You know, what are we doing today? What are we doing tomorrow? What's the team required? And, And every I don't even know if I would say it's every year. It's almost every few months where it's sort of evolving and shifting as the business grows. But it was really just hearing that origin story and connecting the dots to what I had been taught, Estee Lauder and LVMH, who understand branding and storytelling, some of the best in the world, and combining that with what I understood as an investor and kind of what it meant to build a strong business. And I thought that this really had both. You brought Dior to Facebook, to social media, and now Supergoop, again, you talk about small movements and momentum build to years of brand building. How do you look at the social media aspects of this? What I mean is there's this playful brand, but there's science and there's a business to run, but there's also creating a movement. How do you play off and not play off too much social media to keep this focused on a business and a science of providing something to people? If I was an investor and finance person in the beginning of my career, my days in bigger beauty companies were as a marketer. I'm a marketer and a product developer by by training. And so I really love brands. That's the, you know, go back to my earliest inclinations of a career was really around branding and what was advertising. I didn't really even understand what I was talking about then. But the toolkit around branding has changed dramatically from when I entered the industry and I was at Clinique and It was magazines and department stores and the internet was just starting. Uh, E-commerce was just starting. There was no social media. So how you communicated was one set of things. And then it started to actually evolve into, yeah, Facebook appeared and there was these things. I don't even know that we called them influencers yet, but (laughs) there was a little bit of digital media emerging. and, and, And I've sort of watched over time these seismic shifts in what the marketing toolkit is. And I think I've always been fascinated by what's new, what's next, and evolving into that, but also building a brand that is not about any one of those things. To me, there's a big difference between a brand and a brand with a capital B. A brand with a capital B has a deep origin story, has a real reason for being, has a unique set of codes and DNA. And these are, again, these are all the things that I kind of learned around some of the best in the industry at this. They can use the tools of the moment, but they're not beholden to the tools of the moment. So if TikTok is now the thing that was, a, you know, not even a word in our vocabulary several years ago, <laughs> great, let's leverage that to take our message and put it into the ecosystem and the conversation of the consumer today. But if it 
goes away tomorrow, I'm okay with that too. And I, I do think that's really important. I think that's something that um, is really essential to building a brand today even more because I think it does change so fast. But I think social media can enable messaging in a, in a new and unique way. And again, there's, there's so many different platforms. We're always looking at new things. We don't need to be the first mover. We wait until we see that there's real benefit and scale out of it. I'm sure there'll be things that I don't even, like again, a word that I can't even articulate now because it's not even in our vocabulary. And all of a sudden you'll be like, okay, well, this is a shift. And I think the magic of this brand is that we can evolve and, and put our point of view into whatever we need to, because that's where the consumer is. I think you have to go and meet them where they are. You can't expect them to come to you. We'll be right back with Amanda, but first we'll hear from Margot McShane, a managing director in our San Francisco office. She'll explain how top executives can engage and retain women leaders in their organizations. We've heard a lot of new buzzwords like quiet quitting and the great resignation enter our workplace vernacular in recent years. But a new term dubbed the great breakup is gaining traction as more and more women are leaving their leadership roles. Unlike their male counterparts, where income is often the biggest driver, many women are choosing to quit their C-suite positions on account of feeling undervalued by their organization. Companies need to address this issue by acknowledging the different motivators that affect female leaders and implementing proactive steps to achieve better gender equity in their organizations. Our report, What's Motivating Your Women Leaders takes a deep look into what is inspiring this increasing discrepancy and offers six actionable steps your organization can take to engage and retain women leaders. Access the report at russellreynolds.com. We will also make this link available in the show notes. Now, back to our conversation with Amanda. You mentioned earlier going global, further expanding where the brand will go. You know, there's a lot of different types of people in the world and different stereotypes and mindsets around sunscreen and just skincare in general. How are you thinking about that as Supergoop goes beyond borders and starts to go into different areas where there may need to be an education around certainly skincare more more, more broadly, but particularly around sunscreen? And how do you break down some of those stereotypes? I think it varies a lot by region. We launched in Europe a couple of weeks ago. We've been in parts of Asia for several years. I think it's really important to understand the specificity of the region, to hire a local team, to work with local partners. We don't think that we have Mm -hmm. the insights sitting here in New York City to be able to do that effectively. But what we do know is our brand. You need to be wildly consistent but also incredibly nuanced and nimble in how you come to life. And I think the best brands in the business know how to thread that needle. You talk about global growth and pivoting to meet consumers where they are and continuing to pivot where they are. But how are you balancing growth, infrastructure, the business organization with staying close to the mission as you expand so quickly? I think I would answer that question in two ways. First is that infrastructure and preparing for growth is essential. I think it's the thing that often doesn't get talked about in the same way, right? We often talk about brands, we talk about product, but when I look at where are things successful or not, sometimes it's just about getting the back end right. And I I hesitate to use the word back end because I don't like that word because it suggests some sort of hierarchy of importance or something like that. And, And my team is very used to me saying like what the consumer sees is 
one thing, but what they don't see is equally important. So I wish I could come up with a new word for it. <laughs> and that's why I use the word infrastructure. I, it's the enabler of everything else. So if you don't have a good supply chain, if you don't understand the regulatory environment, if you don't have a good finance team, you, you cannot operate. And this is something that we're very focused on as an organization now is the infrastructure required to build a business to what it got to in the last couple of years versus what we want to do in the next few is very different. It's a whole nother level. Most of my conversations are about that because the marketing and the brand is a continuation of that mission, right? Like that mission and that clarity as a brand, that never changes. But how we execute on a daily basis changes daily because all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm in 16 more countries in Europe, but I better know how to operate with that. So that's what's constantly changing. And that's what I think is really the balance of building what I hope we create over time, which is a global category defying business. You never lose sight of the clarity of what you're trying to create and what your brand is. And that goes back to the DNA and the origins. And again, it evolves how you communicate and all those things, but you are constantly changing the way in which you are operating the business. Mm. That's something I'm learning as I'm going. Um, That is the entrepreneurial journey that we're on. Amanda, we all have moments in our life when the way that we look at the world changes. And on this podcast, we call it a redefiner moment. And this is a question we put to all of our guests. What was a redefiner moment for you? I have so many, but I'll... I'll <laughs> I love Am that. I only allowed one? No, no, please tell us. I, I think a big, a big moment for me was, and I, and I sometimes get asked for career advice or, or, you know, how did your career unfold? And I think a big redefiner moment for me was watching the digital ecosystem evolve and emerge. And mm. I kind of joke now that I, you know, I've sort of had to throw away all my marketing textbooks from when I was in business school, sorry. (laughs) The branding principles still hold, but I watched and said, oh my goodness, the the generation of brands that are going to come up through the ecosystem is going to look very different because of just the world shifting and and, and emergence of digital and mobile and Mm -hmm. whatever is going to come next. And that forced me to rethink about what my career might look like because we're kind of in that mode given this podcast of just kind of, again, in some ways very similar to even how I'm thinking about Supergroup that the brand never changes. Who I am hasn't changed since the very beginning of what I've been interested in doing, but the world shifted around me and I had to rethink and was like, oh, well, maybe this earlier stage company thing that again didn't exist when I graduated from business school something that I really need to understand. And and here I am, I never could have predicted that I would find what ultimately I hope is my sweet spot, which is running a business for a private equity firm and understanding that. I think it had a lot to do with watching a whole ecosystem shift that just didn't exist. Mm. So when I graduated from business school, there was no Shopify, there was no Instagram, barely Mm -hmm. Facebook. I'm really dating myself here. No Amazon, (laughs) like none of these things. And so you can really have a perspective about what you quote unquote want to be when you grow up, but you have to be really open-minded to redefining what that is, not losing sight of what's most important to you, but it kind of Somebody asked me, would I expect to be doing this? It didn't even exist to be able to do it. You've come out of the Clinique and Dior and these incredibly recognized brands. What's your advice to someone that says, how do you create a market where someone will switch brands to be disruptive in such a brand-centric industry? 
So I would actually say we are not about switching brands. We are about adopting a behavior. So Mm. actually what we're creating is a new category and a new behavior. So Mm. I say keep using that Clinique and that Dior. And this is about a new thing that people just weren't even thinking that they needed on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very important thing for me. It's a lot about like, what's the white space that we're going after? I think it's a lot about what motivates me and my team is that we're actually creating something new. This is not mm. a game of buy my product, not yours. This is about making us all healthier by adopting a new behavior. Almost like you're adding something to the toolkit. It is. I mean, like, we see it in the statistics. We see it in our research. When I first started, it was sort of 85, 90% of people don't wear sunscreen on a daily basis. Wow. 75% of Supergoop users do. Wow. And that's, that probably could be updated. That's a huge change. And again, it, we're all better off for it. So that's a really unique thing to do. And so when we actually think about brands that we aspire to be when we grow up, it's probably not other beauty brands. It's really things that are more daily habits, category creators. Those are the ones that I really look up to. And Amanda, you are at global luxury conglomerates, you know, LVMH, Estee Lauder, both very well established high-end brands. How do you compare that experience with being a part of a, you know, younger organization, startup, everything is still new. You're probably building a lot of it from the ground up. Can you point to specific differences that, you know, you've seen and what's that been like for you sort of making that shift? I think they're wildly different worlds. I don't think one is better than the other. I think that those brands are extraordinary. They are extraordinary companies. I think there's not enough focus on what it takes to be a multi-billion dollar global entity. That's really hard. Yeah. Uh, And I look up to that immensely. I say sometimes it kind of helps to build a house if you've lived in a house. So knowing what the infrastructure is at at the end of the game and, and, and having learned from that is just wildly invaluable, whether those brands, the organizations and, and the specific leaders who led them when I was there, I'm eternally grateful for. It's certainly a very different life. Entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. The highs are high, the lows are tough, but I love roller coasters, <laughs> literally and figuratively. So, okay, bring it on. But um, it's not for everybody. But I think, again, to go back to career advice, nothing is supposed to be for everybody. Uh, I don't think there's any one right answer. This is super exciting for me and for the people on our team. Watching them fly is just so amazing but you got to love change. You cannot be in an organization like this and want steady Eddie. I'm not going to be able to do that for anybody. But if you want to see your thumbprint on things, if you want to be able to look around and be like, this didn't exist before and I built it, I think there's nothing more gratifying than that. But again, I, I really look at it as these are personal decisions and there's no one right answer. And I have some very dear friends that are very senior at these organizations now, these bigger companies, and they are having the ride of their lives too. So I just think it's a, it's a personal choice. Have you had, as an entrepreneur, managing your life aside from building this brand, how do you decide where the guardrails are? How do you not make it 25 hours a day, seven days a week? How do you look at balancing um, your life, your dream, putting your thumbprint on Supergoop? I mean, it's a constant evolution. I don't know that I have a great answer on that. I think to sit in my shoes, you have to be all in all the time. 
there aren't really boundaries. <laughs> Somebody asked me that other day and I was like, gosh, I hate to break it to you, but being the CEO of a, of a company like this doesn't come with a lot of boundaries. But that doesn't mean I don't find how to draw the line. I still take vacations that I love. I love to travel. I have an eight-year-old son who certainly teaches me like where to spend my time and my energy when I'm home. But I think there's a lot of integration that happens. I think that we often talk about this idea of balance, which suggests sort of an equilibrium and, and boundaries, which suggests that there's one world and not the other. And I sort of think it all melds together, that it's a constant iteration. It's a constant set of where's my best next hour spent, making those decisions on a constant basis and just being in a little bit more free form. So my son is a part of Supergroup. He doesn't really know anything else. I've been here for seven years and he's eight. You could, you know, this is all he really knows. <laughs> Comes on store checks with me and like he's kind of into it. And it is important to recharge. And I think everybody finds this, this sort of pockets of time. I certainly have mine and they're, they're small and precious. And, you know, I kind of know how to make the most of them. Well, that's the most pragmatic answer I've heard to that question. Yeah. I find that, I find that I, relatively I realistic think, and, and helpful. I don't have it all figured out. And I think that <laughs> nobody really does. Um, and I think it could be very intimidating to think there's some answer out there. I don't think life is like that. I don't think careers are like that. That's incredibly mm. authentic though. So we end each podcast with some rapid fire questions. We hope you're ready to go, Amanda. Just what quickly comes to your mind. The first question is, how involved is your daily skincare routine? Oh, I'm always trying something new. I'm, uh, you know, I, I did not grow up a beauty junkie, but I certainly have become one. Um, and when you have so many incredible friends in the industry and are always meeting new brands and new founders, you get to try a lot of things. So it's probably a constant evolution, but it always includes sunscreen. Who is a major role model in your life? There are too many to list. I would say when, when I get asked that question, I have a flash of faces that, that go through my head, mm -hmm. each one who's played a very specific and different role. I think the consistent thread is they are all big thinkers. They are all change makers. They are all bold. They have a strong point of view and they go for it, but they're also incredibly kind people. The empathy gene is a good one, as many of us have discovered. Next question. What is a piece of advice that has stuck with you for years? That you don't have to be great at everything, but you have to be great at surrounding yourself with people who are the sort of yin to your yang. I was sort of an academic nerdy person who wanted to do well in every subject. And so this was a big breakthrough for me was the idea of like, you didn't have to be great at every subject. Be great at the subject that you are destined to be great at and surround yourself with people who have their version of that, but it's just in a different place. I love that there's a sort of an awareness, self-awareness piece, mm -hmm. right? And then sort of bringing in the extra muscle and skill sets around you. Next question. Above all, what is the one thing that is essential to the success of a brand? Staying committed, never wavering from that. I think the great brands know who they are. They're unapologetic about it. They're really focused. They understand the world is happening around them. When people all of a sudden are like, oh, well, I think this is the thing that's in. I'm going to go be that. Mm. That's a brand killer. Well, we cannot thank you enough. Fascinating discussion. Um, the fact that it's near and dear to our hearts is even, even better. But Amanda, thank you for being here. A couple of things that we, that we pick up on and think about in summary. The focus really has been about changing behavior every day. We start with this theme about a product, but it's about behavior. And you've, you've attached the product story to joy. 
and it's both walking to the car or it's the sport of, of sailboat racing or playing sports outside. I like the reality you don't wear the same shoes to the office that you do to the tennis court. And so how one looks at, at skincare or sunscreen should be the same way. Those of us who understand equally that reapplying is the ounce of prevention. But this sense of, of the playful brand backed by science, and you pivoted to the focus on the makeup-loving millennial and creating a movement, and little movements create momentum, and months and years of momentum create a brand, and now this brand is building and going on. But it's still this sense of you as an investor thinking about the brand essence and the storytelling and watching it build and building a toolkit to branding as the world changes, whether it was magazines to Facebook to digital to influencers. The brand still is the capital B. It's the depth of what keeps it going. But you've pivoted and you say, don't be beholden to the moment but understand the moment. And if it's TikTok now, that's fine, but we're not going to be beholden to that. We're going to meet the consumer where they are and we'll continue to pivot. It's equally important that a great company have great infrastructure to deliver what the joy is on the shelf or in the experience. Change the execution daily to meet the market and the expectations and keep the clarity of vision. I love the fact you said, we're not going to give in to what's current now. We're going to stay deep to being true to the brand. For you personally around the career, the world shifted around you. You didn't envision coming out of business school that you'd be in a startup or it would be the sunscreen business. It doesn't matter what business you're in, but be open. Be open to redefinition as the world changes around you. And being in a startup, a roller coaster is not for everybody. But understand what you like. If you want to put your fingerprints on something and build something, nothing more energizing but it is seven days a week and you have to find, as you have, the pockets of time to be real. And if your son goes on store checks, then that's the real world when he's living your life and you're partially living his. And finally, um, focus on bold but kind people. Be practical. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the expert, but build a great team around you that helps perfection come from practical application. So a very pragmatic and authentic discussion. Amanda, you're great. And um, appreciate that. We're going to make sure your product is everywhere these days because it's close to our hearts. Thanks for being here very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Amanda. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Redefiners. For more compelling insights from leaders across industries and around the world, listen to Redefiners wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more or to get in contact with us, visit our website at russellreynolds.com, find us on LinkedIn. And follow us on Twitter at RRA on Leadership.